yesterday I had to fill out a little survey kind of quiz, rapid fire type thing, where it asks the kind of questions, you know, what's your favorite book, your favorite food, your favorite, you know, if you could invite three people, living or dead, to a dinner party, who would they be and why, and those kinds of questions. And I don't know if it's a personality thing, but I hate those kinds of questions. Now, it takes me forever to answer those kinds of questions because I'm like, all right, I have to pick one book out of all the books that I've read. Like, I don't know how I can do that. What, like, what three people am I going to invite? Like, there's like, what kind of, like, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about all the different possibilities, and so it takes me forever to, like, get an answer on the paper. I was online, but it wasn't a paper, but... Um, one of the questions, though, struck me, and it's kind of been sitting with me since, since I answered it. It said, if you could tell yourself, if you could tell your 18-year-old self anything, what would it be? And I thought about that, and my answer to that, 18-year-old self, just starting college, didn't think that he would be a priest at that point in his life. So what I, what I said was, I would tell 18-year-old self, God is real, his mercy is unmatched, and he will provide. God is real, his mercy is, is unmatched, it's unceasing, it's never-ending, and he will provide. All of us have this desire for that to be true, right? We have this hunger, we have this thirst um, that we hear in all three readings today. We're all just born with that. God has placed this, this hunger, this thirst, this desire in us. And we want that to be true. And maybe on a, on, at some times, and in a certain sense, we know that that is true, that God will provide. But it's hard to always believe that. And it's hard to everywhere believe that. The prophet Isaiah speaks to a people who is in exile and who is seeking the Lord, who desires nothing but for the, the Lord to come into their life again. And he says, come, all of you who are thirsty. And what, the line that jumps out to me as I, as I listen and read with this passage is that why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? We have these desires and we know, like, yeah, there's something that, that can satisfy it, but in, like in my life, why do I so often spend so much time, spend so much effort going back to the things that I know aren't going to satisfy me? Like, I know the answer here, but I don't know the answer here. And, and, I, and again and again and again, I go back to these things that I know aren't going to satisfy me. I know that they're not the answer. And when I'm in that spot, and when each one of us is in that spot, whenever we're very aware of this desire that the Lord has placed within us, God says, through Isaiah the prophet, to each one of us, come. Come to the water. Come and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Come, even though you don't have anything. Come without money come without cost, and come and receive all the things that your heart is longing for. Come, listen to me, so that your soul may live. That invitation to come is never-ending, unceasing, unchanging. We need to hear that invitation again and again and again. Come to me so that I can satisfy what your heart is longing for. And it's always just like, it's always an invitation. He doesn't demand it. It's not, and he's not going to force himself upon us. But he's always waiting, always inviting us to come to him. And he makes a promise. He's not going to force himself. He's not going to impose himself. But whatever space in our life that we give to the Lord, he will 
fill. He will come into. Whatever, whatever we allow him, whatever parts of our life we let him into, he will come and do something. The invitation on his part is always there to let him in. To let him into those spaces in my life where I doubt and I distrust and I think there's no way God can provide here so that, really, so that he can prove us wrong. So that he can prove to us that he means what he says. It's like the, the apostles in, in the gospel, they didn't think there was no way that they could feed all these people, right? All these ideas, that that's great, like, in the abstract world, like, it's great to think that God's always going to provide, but, like, in the here and now, we have 5,000 people plus women and children and five loaves and two fish. We have a problem. Go, go let them buy their own food. And Jesus says, no, 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 you give them, you give them food yourselves. And so I'm sure the, their immediate thought was, we have to put all of our money together and go and buy some food, right? We have to take charge. We have to take things into our own hands, figure out a plan, and, and make it happen, right? Whenever we're in that spot, that almost like it's like a little moment of crisis, even if it's not a giant life crisis, but a moment of, hmm, I, I have an option here. I can either take things into my own hands, or I can trust that the Lord is going to do something. When Jesus, when we allow Jesus to work, he takes what measly thing that we have. He takes our five loaves and two fish. He takes our imperfections. He takes our inadequacies. He takes our fears, our doubts, our sins. He takes all of these things and is able to transform them, when we let him, into something that truly does satisfy. He took those five loaves and two fish to become something that satisfied everybody. Everybody was satisfied. No one was left out. Nothing was left behind. And there was an overabundance. There was a miraculous overabundance of things. Whenever we give Jesus a little bit, whenever we give Jesus five loaves and two fish, whatever that means in our life, the little imperfect offering that we have, in trust, he is truly able to provide and over more than we could ever imagine. The apostles had no idea what was going to happen if they trusted in Jesus. We have no idea what can happen in our life if we trust in the Lord, if we come to him, and if we let him work this miracle in our life. Jesus used, well, the scriptures use some very particular words when talking about this multiplication of the bread, right? Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. We're going to hear those words in a couple of minutes. See, these, these stories, this multiplication of the loaves, the prophecies of Isaiah, aren't something that's locked up to 2,000 years ago. Jesus still takes what we offer him. He blesses it, he breaks bread, and he gives it to each one of us, such that there is an overabundance more than we could ever imagine. I, I read a reflection yesterday that, that struck me as, as interesting, connecting the overabundance of bread then to now. Imagine, right now, at this moment, how many masses are going on, right now, 
I'd be willing to bet that in our diocese alone, there's at least 30 masses happening right now, if not more. Imagine the state, the country, the world. How many, ma- how many places is the Eucharist, the bread of life that truly does satisfy, being offered and being lifted up, being offered so that we can consume it and be transformed, so that our hearts truly can be satisfied? Not because it's bread, but because it's Jesus. Because Jesus gives himself to us. Because we are hungering and thirsting, and so we just, maybe by habit, maybe because we desire it, we come to the bread that satisfies. The multiplication of loaves didn't stop. Jesus desires to provide in each one of our lives so much that at every moment of every day, somewhere in the world, that bread of life is being multiplied again today. No matter where we are or what we're doing, we can unite ourselves to that sacrifice because he's made it literally ever-present throughout the whole world. Every moment, every day, every country, every place. In a church, in a convent, in a mission field, in a hospital, in a prison, in a home. Jesus makes himself available to us. He offers us the bread of life so that we can come, we can consume, and we can be satisfied. That's what he desires. And he desires it so badly that he almost recklessly makes it available and recklessly provides this superabundance so that everyone can be satisfied, that nobody can be left out, and no scraps can be, will be left behind. The temptation still comes. That might have been true in these certain times, but I, it's, it's so hard to me for, to believe that right now in this struggle. St. Paul, in the second reading, the the combination of last week's second reading and this week's second reading make up, I think, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. St. Paul is writing to Romans who are being persecuted, who are being killed, tortured, and captured simply for believing in Jesus. They're not even doing anything. They just refuse to deny, they they may refuse to deny that Jesus is God. Simply by believing and by being a Christian, They're being persecuted. And it's to those people that Paul says that all things work for good, which we heard last week. It's to those people that St. Paul says that what can separate us from the love of God? What can separate us from this desire of God to satisfy us? Not tribulation. Not distress. Not persecution. Not the sword. Not danger. Not famine. Not peril. In fact, because of what Jesus has done, we, we, don't just conquer, we don't just win, we conquer overwhelmingly. We're more than conquerors because of what God has done for us. Because of what Paul's been through, because he encountered Jesus, he says, I am convinced, I am sure that death, life, no ruler, nothing in the past, nothing that we're ashamed of in the past, nothing that we're struggling with in the present right now, nothing that we'll ever do in the future can ever separate us from that love that God gave to us in Jesus Christ and that comes to us on this altar in a few minutes. That love that is Jesus himself 
that comes to us in this place. Nothing can ever separate us from that. And I think that's something we need to hear again and again and again because it's easy to doubt it. It's easy to doubt that God is real. It's easy to doubt that he matters, that he cares, that his, that his love is even real, and that he's going to provide for us. I think God made us as a people who thirst, as a people who hunger, as a people who, who suffer, because it's in that moment that we're almost at a decision point. Either I, I'm going to believe or I'm not. What opens me to believing that God can provide, what what almost puts me in a spot to, to allow him to come in is being in that moment of suffering like the Romans. That moment of hungering and thirsting like the people in the gospel. When I'm hungry, when I'm thirsting, when I'm suffering, and I trust, and I come to God, and I allow him in, that's where the moment of grace happens. That's where he's able to come and to reveal himself as someone who's real and someone who's present in my life. The invitation, I think, today is very simple, and it's what God repeated again and again in the first reading. It's to come. Come so that he can prove who he is. Come so that we can be satisfied with the love that our hearts are longing for. God is real. His mercy is unmatched, and he will provide, he will satisfy in every situation.